This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, all right? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. most influential sci-fi films ever made, starring one of the biggest Hollywood actors of all time. And it's about to get a sequel 35 years later. It's Blade Runner, and this film is lit. That's right, on today's episode of This Film Is Lit, we are discussing the 1982 iconic sci-fi film that is Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Katie, you have never seen this film before? No, never you, in my life. And you had never read the short story book? It's it's a novel. Novel that this is based on, which is called... Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? By... By Philip <clears throat> K. Dick. So, I've seen uh, Blade Runner probably two times uh, in my life. I saw it once when I was very young uh, and didn't understand it at all and didn't really like it very much. And I saw it once in college and I liked it. But it didn't, I enjoyed it, but it didn't do as much for me. This time when we watched it, I really, really enjoyed it and really thought it was really good, uh, which had not been my experience till till now. I had always thought, I had always respected it, but had never really enjoyed it. And this time I really enjoyed it. So we'll talk about your experience with the film here in a bit. But first, let's talk a little bit about the movie slash novel. The movie itself, uh, like I said, came out in 1982, directed by Ridley Scott of Alien fame and... The Martian fame and Gladiator, and he's demands directed a million movies. It was nominated for two Oscars for Best Effects, uh, Visual Effects, and Best Art Direction. Didn't win either. Art Direction was won by Gandhi. It was the year Gandhi came out, and Gandhi like cleaned up the Oscars that year. And then uh, Best Visual Effects went to E.T., so it had stiff competition. I still think it probably could have won both of those. I haven't seen Gandhi. I've seen E.T., I'd be hard-pressed to think that the art direction in something like Gandhi was that much better or was even better. Because this is one of the most visually stimulating and interesting movies. It's very stylized. And so cool looking that it's, yeah, it's kind of mind-blowing. We watched, oh, this is important. We watched the final cut. There's like a million versions of this movie. That's what I've heard. Not a million. There's like four, I think, or five. Um, There was a theatrical release. There was the pre-theatrical release, which nobody, I think's ever seen. There was a theatrical release. There is what's called the director's cut, which isn't actually a director's cut, which was uh, somebody, an unauthorized director's cut where somebody... Cause, so the, the big change between the pre-theatrical release and the theatrical release, the theatrical release added a voiceover narration by Harrison Ford that is uh, roundly regarded as terrible and pointless. <laughs> Uh, and it's so much so because uh, Harrison Ford didn't want to do it because he thought it was dumb, but they made him do it. And so he's like 
half-assing the whole thing. Phoned it in. Yeah. And on top of that, this is not really necessary, but they thought, which is kind of fair, that general audiences might have a hard time following exactly what's going on, which I don't think that's necessarily unfair because it's a bit overwhelming and, and not overwhelming, but um, can be a bit confusing and like, cause a lot of, it's a very subtle movie and a lot of subtext and you have to kind of figure out what, like what's going on and wait, okay, what, where, why are we here now? Like a little bit of that, like, cause they just kind of expect you to be able to follow along and, and, and it's not as easy the first time um, you watch it. I don't think I could be wrong. Did you not have any trouble? Well, I didn't have any trouble following the plot, except for a couple things here and there. Not so much following... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. But I had read the book. Right. Oh, okay, so that... Well, that's interesting, Nick, is me. Because I was wondering... I thought this wouldn't be pretty much remotely similar to the book. But I can see where if I hadn't read the book and I hadn't had some idea of what was go- it was going to be about and, I mean, the basic premise... And some of the um, some of the details about like the world and what was happening, yeah. I can see where I might have been confused yeah. by some of the stuff that was going on. And there were a couple things that I was like, "Yeah, that doesn't make any sense." Yeah. But we'll we'll get to that later. And I guess part of that, and my impression of that, might be because I watched it when I was pretty young, and I had a hard like I had a harder time following it. Look, now when I watched it this time, I followed everything perfectly, and part partly probably because I'm older and smarter. But all another, and I'm just better at understanding films than I was when I was 18 or whatever, or 17. But I think the other part helps that I've seen it once, even if it mm-hmm. was 10 years ago or whatever, or twice now, technically. But the first time my dad sat me down, was like, we're going to watch Blade Runner. And I was like, sure. And I was like, I don't get this. I don't, this, why is he not Han Solo? What's going on? <laughs> um, all right. So with the final cut, the director's cut, the unauthorized director's cut removed that voiceover from the theatrical cut back to how it was before it got released in theaters, but Ridley Scott no had no hand in the director's cut from what I understand. It was his, he didn't have anything to do with it. It was like the studio did it basically. And then the final cut is actually technically the director's cut because this is the one Ridley Scott went back and, and had all his hand in and final say in, and it added a scene or two specifically one scene that angers a lot of people and we'll get to that when we Ooh, controversy i say angers but it's it's yeah it confirms something that's only hinted at in the movie i'll just say that and you'll and and you may not even even got because it's okay okay we'll get there um and i think that'll be a fun conversation because i have feelings about it now that i've seen this movie. that's interesting though because i mentioned to a friend that we were doing this film and he asked me if we were gonna watch the one with the voiceover and i was like i have no idea i don't know which version of it he has so the final no voiceover no but i wish i could find the director's cut and i probably can i can probably get a blu-ray but the final cut was what came out of and i was i was able to get i got this in college or like freshman year of college or something um anyways so just so people know we watched the final cut so anything we're talking about that's (laughs) obviously where that's coming from movie wise all right. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Philip K. Dick published in 1968. So precede yeah. the book. By 16 or the movie, years. Rather, or no, 14 years. For a while yeah, here. Yeah, 14 years. Which Philip K. Dick died in 1982. Oh. Following a stroke. Probably watched the movie and was yeah, like, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, we'll talk about how faithful of an adaptation it is. <laughs> um, I, this book... It, it was interesting. 
Now, I will preface this by saying that sci-fi is not, not a, it's not a genre that I usually gravitate towards. I don't have any problems with sci-fi. I don't have anything against sci-fi. It's just never been a genre that I was like, ooh, I think I'll read that now. Right. But it it's interesting. It's it's a dystopia. I guess technically the movie is too. Yeah, for no, not technically. It's absolutely dystopian. Maybe I, that's more so. I don't I know. Mean, but. I, I got less of a dystopian like a straight dystopia vibe right? It's, from the movie than I do from the book. That's fair. Without getting too much into the book, I can see that. Because it's, it's more of just like a grimy It's a It's a grimy dystopia. future. Yeah, but it's also... Because, I mean, there it is, there's dystopian elements to it. Because, like, they, they imply at one point that, like, everybody on Earth is dirt-ass poor. Like, right. for the most part. <laughs> except for, like, the rich people, <clears throat> obviously. And that, and 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 somebody says at one point to somebody in the movie, you know, why haven't you left Earth? Like, so everybody is like, kind of a lot. A lot of people have left Earth for greener pastures, right? And so it's at least a dystopian Earth. But yeah, I I, I could see where there might be a more because it's not like over. It's not yeah, Mad it's, Max. It's, no, <laughs> it's not. It's not an overt dystopia to me, which is why. I would say it more has it's like a grimy future with dystopian elements. Yeah, and that, I think that's um, fair. And the the book is a little bit more like like if you took the bleakness of Orwell and like married it to Huxley's fear of technology. Yeah, you would get do androids dream hmm. of electric sheep. All right, let's do it. It's time for guess who. Five for nine or six five for, for nine? nine? Five. Five for nine. I was over 500, but barely. Because I went one, one, and three, so yeah. All right. She seemed less timid now. Her body straightened, and with her hand, she smoothed her dark hair. Now he saw that she had a nice figure, although small, and nice eyes markedly embellished by long black lashes. Well, this seems real obvious, assuming these characters are one-for-ones. Uh... Let me think. But I'm real leaning towards Rachel currently. I mean, I guess it could be technically Zora if she's in the book, but she doesn't have dark hair in the movie. I'm just going to say Rachel. Okay, it's or- Pris. Oh. No. Okay, well that... Interesting. She's it, blonde as shit. In it's movie. kind of a trick question, because in the book, Rachel and Pris are the same model. Oh. So they're almost identical. Okay, I see. Interesting. That is a trick question. Because that <laughs> was like a perfect description of Rachel. I mean, from, you know, the eyelashes and the dark hair. Right. The, well, that sucks. Okay, oh for one. Pris played by Dara Hannah. Daryl Hannah in the movie. You oh. know who Daryl Hannah is? No. She had a pretty famous actress. Mean anything okay, me. never mind. <laughs> she had quite the look yeah. in the movie. Furiosa. Pre-Furiosa inspired. Good Madonna, Furiosa, <laughs> yeah. Runaways. David Bowie a little, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the man was larger, with intelligent eyes, but flat Mongolian features which gave him a brutal look. He lounged in a rumpled shirt and stained trousers, giving an air of almost deliberate vulgarity. He smiled, but his bright, small eyes remained oblique. Wow. Okay, well, this could be 
a lot of people. It's I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's not Deckard, just because it wouldn't make sense. My guess, okay, I have a couple guesses. One would be, uh, and I can't remember his name, the 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 chief that calls him in to say you gotta, you know, mm-hmm. calls him back in to go back on the job. Another one would be Tyrell, but I don't think his name would be Tyrell based on a reaction you had while we were watching the movie. But it could be that character, the creator character, whatever his name would be in the movie. I'd say one of those two, or it's somebody I'm not thinking of. Because uh, I doubt it's Leon, I doubt it's Roy. I doubt it's... I doubt what's-his-name, which I don't even know his name, the assistant to the chief guy, is even in the mo- even in the book. I mean, he might be. That would be my third potential guess. And I doubt it's J.S. Sebastian, assuming he's in the book. I'm going to say the chief guy, police chief guy, dude. Okay, it's Roy. Is it Roy? Yeah. Oh, what? All right. That doesn't match at all. No, it doesn't. Rutger Hauer looks nothing like that. <laughs> Got that white hair, though. Does not have Mongolian features <laughs> in the slightest. I, I mean, assuming i kind of picturing Mongolian features, I don't picture Rutger Hauer, but that could be me. Dang. I, I knew this one was going to be tough, but because there's a fair number of characters and they're kind of, mm. you know. Anyways, all right, next one. Her proportions, he noticed again, were odd. With her heavy mass of dark hair, her head seemed large, and because of her diminutive breasts, her body assumed a lank, almost childlike stance. But her great eyes, with their elaborate lashes, could only be those of a grown woman. Okay, well now are you trying to trick me? Because it could be Rachel, but this is, seems like a different description than of, and if she's the same model. The other one I thought it could be was, I mean, the only other female character that has any prominence is Zora, I think. <sighs> Shit. Um, I was gonna, I'm, I'm gonna think you're trying to trick me. I'm gonna go with Rachel. It's Rachel. Yes. <laughs> I almost talked myself out of it, but I didn't. Okay. One for t- three. God. Final one. All right. In the irregular light, he seemed a medium man, not impressive. Round face and hairless, smooth features, like a clerk in a bureaucratic office. Methodical, but informal. Not demigod in shape. Not at all as he had anticipated him. Okay, well, this I have a few. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, could be Leon, but probably not. Could be J.F. Sebastian, probably not. Because it says, as he anticipated, so this is Deckard, and it's probably from his perspective. So this is Deckard seeing somebody. And the only other person it could be would be the creator. It's either creator, J.F. Sebastian, assuming he's in the book, or... Leon, because of the only three. I, if I'm going from the, it's got to, it's obviously somebody from the movie because you don't put people that aren't in the movie. Right. Uh, I'm gonna go with Leon. It's Deckard. What? <laughs> Wait, what? This is the dumb. This is dumb. <laughs> Read that again. Okay. In the irregular light, he seemed a medium man, not impressive, round face and hairless. Smooth features, like a clerk in a bureaucratic office. Methodical, but informal. Not demigod in shape, not as all, and not at all as he had anticipated him. No, that totally makes sense. That's actually a, that's a totally reasonable description of Deckard. 
I just was thrown by the perspective not being from Deckard's perspective. Because you said not all is he anticipated, meaning mm-hmm. we're here seeing Deckard from the perspective. Or Deckard is being described to us. We're in the point of view of some character that's not Deckard. So is Deckard not the main character of... Or not the point of view character of the novel? So that's actually, there's two points of view in the novel. We go back and forth between Deckard and another character who has a stand-in in in the movie, sort of. There's sort of a parallel character, but he's not in the movie as he appears in the book. Interesting. Well, we'll get to that. But, uh, okay. But yeah, no, the actual description totally did. Like, when you said it again, I was like, yeah, that totally works for Deckard. Like, I get it. I see it. I yeah, just, it was like a pudgy... Yeah, round yeah, face. Yeah. Not not super impressive. Totally fine. I'm like, that... Yeah, I just was flipped by the... It not... I was... It had to not be Deckard in my head, because that's <laughs> whose perspective we were... All right, fine. It's so one for four, which puts me up to six for 13, which is a failing... <laughs> grade. All right, that means it's time to move on to... Was that in the movie? Probably wasn't in the book. Wait. Uh, was that in the book? <laughs> That's what I meant to say. That probably wasn't in the book. I only have a few, and now uh, my first one completely blown out of the water because turns out this is, I assume. So my first one initially, because I thought this might be one of those super inspired by movies Mm -hmm. and not based on really and i thought this main story might have less to do with deckard hunting okay basically my initial one this the plot of the four escaped replicants and then deckard having to hunt them down is that in the book yes okay that's like his main storyline is that he's a bounty hunter. Right, yeah. And he's hunting down, I think it's six in the book. It's six in the movie, but two of them already died, I think is what it is technically. They say that at one point. There were six, and then two of them died. Yeah, it's eight in the book, and two of them already died. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. So his main storyline is um, they call him in, they tell him about these escaped androids, because they do call them androids in the no, book. They're and not replicants. replicants. Yeah. yeah. Um, and his main storyline is chasing them down and retiring them. Yeah. And they, do they call it retiring? Yes. Okay. Well, now I want to know, because you have avoided this word, is he called a Blade Runner in the book? No, that's is- nowhere <laughs> in the book. <laughs> Ah, oh, that's great. I don't know where they got that from. I don't know what it means. I, I have no fucking clue. I think what it means, and now I, there may be somebody, if you're listening and you know, have an, and I can look it up after this and, and see. Um, my guess is that they go, well, we can't call the movie Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep because nobody will get it and it won't sound cool. We can't cast a sci-fi thriller with Harrison Ford and call it Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. We have to give it a cool, slick name. Right. And so, probably Ridley Scott, because he's kind of a fucking hack. He's also great, but kind of, it's. we'll get into it. Was like, 
came up with the word. I was like, Blade Runner. That's cool. And then so he's like, that's what we'll call... And this is all speculation on my part. There's probably a better explanation of this. Apparently the name Blade Runner comes from a separate novel that Ridley Scott bought the rights to the name of but never produced as a movie. And in that, Blade Runners are people who literally run blades. They sell, it's like a dystopian novel, future novel, where people sell medical equipment and like knives or some sort of stuff. And those people are called Blade Runners. So that actually makes sense. He liked the title and decided to use it for his adaptation of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? But And he was like, so that's what we'll call people who hunt down replicants, they'll be called. Does he have a title? Like, do those people have it? You said it. Oh, just Bounty Hunter? Just they call Bounty, Bounty Hunter, okay. yeah. All right. I think, yeah, they probably decided we need a cool name for the movie. Yeah. To get people like Blade Runner. That sounds cool. Oh, and do then, Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is too long. Yeah, especially it's for a movie. It's too long. It's not catchy. It's not. When you're trying to sell box office tickets. I, mean, I, I want to get into the title of the book later because yeah. it has kind of a, a, a double meaning, sort of. Yeah. Um, when you've read the book and you know some of the themes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's not a good movie title. Okay. All right. Here's my next little one. Is the eye maker in the book, that character, the guy who makes eyes, the little Asian guy who makes eyes? Is that what he was doing? Yeah. Okay. He makes eyes. No. He specifically just makes eyes. No, he's not in the book. Okay. Yeah, that's what he says. They they because they're they come to him first because they because they're obviously looking for life extension, and he says, "I only make eyes. Like that's all mm. he does. He just designs eyes, and that's it." Here's the thing: I know wasn't in the book, and I'm just gonna put a pin in this, but at least I assume I could be very wrong, but. Uh, the unicorn dream, the unicorn where he's passing out and then he's seeing a unicorn. No, that's that's not in the book. <laughs> and uh, on addendum, all the little paper a- animals he finds no. with him. Because I bet that character isn't even in the book. Uh, the detective, like origami man. Yeah. No. Okay. We'll talk. We'll get. We'll get to it. Okay. We'll get to it. I'm really interested to see what the book's take on this is. I bet it's okay. This is exciting. Because you know, because the, the exciting thing about this is, and a lot of our listeners will probably already know what we're going to talk about, because it's a pretty. But since you probably have no idea what I'm, the thing I'm getting at that we're going to discuss. Do you think? Do you? I don't think. Take so. a guess. What do you think this big, this thing that this controversy, this is this in relation to the unicorn? Yeah, that's one. Of, that's one of the scenes that makes people really angry because of the uh, a bigger thing. Relating to the book or just the, the movie? movie? Oh, I assume just the movie. I don't know. Because I, I don't, I don't know what the unicorn was supposed to mean. I mm. no, and that's fair. You probably wouldn't unless you. Okay, we'll we'll get there. It's it's exciting. But um, to me, that came out of nowhere. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. <laughs> and this is a little one, but I love it because I want to know because this thing is crazy and stupid and awesome. Me enhancomatic. <laughs> His computer, where he's able to put a picture in it and, and zoom in on like everything, is that in? The, is there something like no, that in the book? No, it's not in the book. There's a lot of interesting technology in the book, yeah. but not that. Uh, that part of the movie made me dizzy. Flashes, flashes, yeah. and I think this is weird, gross. I didn't like it. Gross. It's just clicking and moving fast yeah. and flashing. Yeah. It's a like, little obnoxious. Like I'll give you that. I don't know if "gross" is the right word, but we don't have a loss in translation. But we do have a different one, which we're going to get into, called "Katie's on a film major." <laughs> Slash 
general discussion of the film and versus the book. And, you know, I, I'm okay at symbolism, mm-hmm. but I don't have so much of the education in visual symbolism. Yeah. Couple things at the beginning of the movie. Yes. Why are the skyscrapers also flamethrowers? That's just Was it just cool? That's yeah, I mean there may be some symbolism that I bet it, it, to me it's just uh depicting this dystopian where they they they're just venting it's Fire? it's just like it's like pollution taken to the next level of like yeah instead of just smog they're venting some sort of flammable gas that has to burn you know what i mean okay. like it's it's like just pollution to an extent like but like hardcore pollution plus it looks cool would be my guess i there, there's not really any particular reason for it that i know of although uh actually there could be uh i take that back I take that back a little bit, and we'll get to it, but it could be a uh, hellscape symbolism based on some other things we'll talk about. All right, I could see the hellscape thing. Because, and we'll, we'll just get right into it, because the replicants uh, show up there and they are the fallen angels, mm-hmm. to an extent there's a lot of uh, religious symbolism with the replicants and obviously the creator Tyrell, and uh, especially them seeing them as... of. Uh, because they're trying to meet their creator, but they're, 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 there's there's talk at one point early on where when they go to meet the the eye maker guy, Roy Batty has a line where he says, uh, I wrote it down, fiery the angels fell, deep thunder rolled around their shoulders, burning with the fires of orc. And now that's a misquote. I looked this up. It's a misquote from a William Blake poem or something okay. like that. But uh, it, it kind of lends a little bit to the, the fallen angel symbolism. And then obviously there's a lot of Jesus symbolism with Roy Batty later on in the movie mm-hmm. as the prodigal son. I mean, they explicitly call him the prodigal son, which Fair. I guess that's not Jesus, right? Technically no, that's a different, that's but, one of the uh, but still and with the other stuff we'll talk about, but uh, the specific other explicit uh, uh, angelic symbolism, visual symbolism is when he shoots Zora. I don't know if you notice this. I never noticed this before. When he shoots Zora, she falls through all the panes of glasses. When you, we come upon her and she's laying there, he shot her once in each shoulder. And you see her from the back and it, she has blood mm-hmm. like wounds on each shoulder blade. Like somebody like sliced off her somebody wings. Somebody sliced off her wings, yeah. Okay, right. And it's pretty overt. Like they're perfectly yeah. parallel with each other and like right on her shoulder blades where wings would be. And, and there's some other stuff like that. I mean... The fucking Roy Batty jumping around with a goddamn dove and nonsense, which we'll talk about the dove. But so, yeah, I, and so I could potentially all the fiery hellscape could mm-hmm. be held. You know, the angels were banished to hell when they were revolted against God because they I don't remember. I, I don't I'm not up enough on my biblical knowledge to know why they were banished from something revolting against well, God or. They're, yeah, they're banished from heaven for for standing up to God. Basically. And that's basically what they do in yeah. this movie is they stand up to God. So that's they're in kind of a hellscapey environment and blah, blah, blah. So, I, you know, that could be one of the reasons symbolically for the flames. OK, I guess it, just, it struck me because the world of the movie is wildly different from the world of the book. Really? Yeah. So the movie it's it's kind of a it's like a bustling city and they kind of did the the future is Asian yeah. thing that yeah. a lot of 
future. They were like one of the sci-fi. first ones to do it, I think. Um, I buy that. That's not from the book? No. Oh, that's surprising. That's interesting. I totally thought that would have been from the book. So in the book, Earth is like almost completely deserted. It's like a dust covered. So it is like Mad Max. Yeah, kind, <laughs> kind of. Um, I don't know about the the desert. Right, right. I, I'm sorry. I type. Right, yeah. I mean, they kind of imply that, but it's so in the book they had um, World War Terminus Ooh. because it was so bad that they stopped counting them. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, and basically everything is a like a nuclear wasteland. Yeah, everything's okay. covered in dust. So it's Fallout World yes, for all of Fallout our video world, game nerds out um, there. <laughs> Almost all of humanity has migrated to other planets. Yeah. There are just a few people kind of aching out a living. It's not this, like, kind of bustling metropolis type of world. Yeah, I see what you're saying when you were talking earlier about the dystopian nature of it. Because this is like, and I think the idea is that this is like one of the concentrated last places where humans really Mm -hmm. are. And on Earth, I would guess is probably because he does, like I said, he does make a statement about like to somebody about why are you still on Earth? Like everybody left, like everybody got the fuck out of here because it's a um, wasteland. I mean, if you like picture um, like Sebastian's home, yeah, like the totally empty, burnt out like, building, burnt out like building. and he's like the only person in it. Yeah. yeah, that's what the whole set should have been. Right, right, and I, I yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. It's one of my favorite things about the movie is how live how real that world feels uh, mm-hmm. even though it's not translate from the book necessarily that city he's in and the way they shoot it and uh, how everything's practical and wet all the time and gross and like it just feels gross watching it like i feel dirty and like i would like you never take enough showers living there i feel like but you probably can't ever take a shower which makes it even worse but it, it's one of my favorite things the visual style the way that city is shot is like just gorgeous but yeah so that that's an interesting difference that's a that's a really interesting difference actually um but i have another question Uh um this is probably kind of a silly question but it was a thing that i noticed and it bothered me okay is there a reason that they can't identify the replicants based on the weird copper glow in their eyes (laughs) it's funny you say that because that's uh like, I get that that's a visual cue to us, to the viewer, us. but it kind of annoyed me. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying, because I thought the same thing, um, and I don't think that's explained. There are a few other changes yeah, that yeah, they made that I wanted to... So, the name Tyrell. Yeah. Obviously, Game of Thrones. Yeah. But they changed that from the book. In the book, it's the Rosens. And I thought that was interesting because of where those names are from. Because Tyrell is British. And Rosen That's is... That's a super British name. American Jewish. Rowan Rosen is a pretty Jewish <laughs> yeah. name. And I'm wondering... If I mean, it's the globalist Jewish agenda? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really... I'm wondering... That runs Hollywood? <laughs> But I'm wondering if they wanted to either avoid that racial implication. Yeah, no, that's fair. Or if they wanted to make, you know, a, a different implication a different with, you know, because I mean, Britain fucking ruled the whole world yeah. at one point. Yeah. You know, no, it's an interesting. It's an interesting point, and that's a really interesting difference. Um, because to me, that seems like a deliberate choice. Yeah, no, it to does. Change that. 
Maybe Philip K. Dick was an anti-Semite and they wanted to uh, distance maybe, himself yeah, I from that. I mean, I have no idea, but who knows? He could have been. And maybe they wanted to try to distance themselves from that yeah. as much as they could. But but no, that's an interesting point. Changing that to from a... From a recognizably Jewish name to, to a, a a British name. And even, and even that, yeah, it is a recognizably British. I think more so now, yeah. post-Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's To me, true. if I wasn't really thinking about it, Tyrell is just a name. Like, I wouldn't think about where it's from. Yeah. But Rosen, I, I would know that that's generally like a Right. And, and in, in the book, I mean, in the movie, the Tyrells, they're kind of almost the big bad. Yeah. Sort of. And it's not that way in the book. I mean, they're they're bad in the sense that corporations are always bad. <laughs> well, that's how it is in the movie, I think, too. Yeah, but... I guess they are kind of the big bad, kind of. I mean, there's, they, there's they nobody's are, really the big bad. They but. are to the replicants. Yeah, actually, I would argue that it's not them that are the big bad to the replicants. It's humanity that's... Kind of the big bad humans in general, the fact and their uh, their okay. uh, complacency in allowing replicants to be treated like non you know second class. Well, I mean they're citizens, they're not, not even second class citizens. They're not like they're not god figures in the book, and they're not in the book like they're in the movie. Oh, the creator, I, the, yeah. Corporation. This is and I'll, we'll get to it because I want to talk about this in another segment. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's not really the same correlation in there which to me made the deliberate change name change even more interesting yeah um because i felt like they painted them a little more as villains yeah, in the movie fair. than they did in the book that's fair is what i was trying to get across yeah yeah, yeah. and i i can buy that okay so another thing that i wanted to talk about with the the dancer zora zora yeah okay so i want to talk about <laughs> she does she's not in the book but she has a parallel character. And I just want to touch on how much sense the change that they made makes. In the movie? Yeah. Because in the book, she's an opera singer. Okay. And they make her into, like, an exotic dancer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the movie, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. She's, like, basically, yeah, like an exotic dancer. With a snake? Yeah. Yeah, and she's Eve-tempting man. Right. Blah, blah, blah. More biblical. Ridley Scott loves himself some biblical fucking symbolism. I don't know if Philip K. Dick I'm not saying, cared. I'm not, no, I'm not saying, no, 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 I'm not saying anything about the book. No, I don't think you are. I'm saying that Ridley Scott fucking loves yeah. biblical symbolism. I mean, there's, there's some religious stuff in the book, but it's not overt parallel. Yeah. Like the movie seems to be. But you're saying that the implication of uh, uh, casting her as an already, since she's already a second class not right. even a second class citizen. Again, replicants aren't even they're not even citizens. They're they're fucking painted out they only can live on the outskirts of society and if they ever come then they're just Yeah. So casting her as a as an already, an already maligned yeah. profession. Whereas opera yeah. is highbrow. High class. Yeah. Yeah. Only rich people go to the opera, yeah. don't you know? Yeah. And you would think it would be harder for somebody who is a like a famous opera, I don't know if she's famous, but like as an opera singer, to is it, you're not hiding in the dregs of society yeah. when you're an opera singer. And that's and that's interesting that you bring that up because they do touch on that. Yeah. In the book, um, she thought that she would be safer. Yeah. If, hide amongst. Yeah. The, yeah, that makes sense. Like if everyone was watching her at all times. That's fair. The last yeah. place they look is you know or. The amongst them is the last place they'd look for me. So. Yeah, that that idea of like 
they're not going to draw attention to it by killing someone who's high profile and well known. Right. right. But that makes they sense. Do. Can we, can yeah. we talk about the unicorn? The, well, if we talk about the unicorn, that's going to be a big discussion. But do you have anything else? Because I, I was going to go there. No, I don't have anything else. Okay. So here's the big thing that started. I say started. In the original cut of the film, original two cuts, was only alluded to, to an extent, and was sort of a fan theory. Uh, and now Ridley Scott insists this was his his goal, his what he thought the story was the whole time, or what his idea was the whole time. Harrison Ford completely disagrees. and I, But apparently there was big arguments between Ridley Scott and the writers and the producers about this one specific plot point, which is that... In Ridley Scott's mind, Deckard is a replicant. Okay. In everybody else's mind, Deckard is a human. <laughs> now, in the original cut, did not have the unicorn scene. Uh-huh. Although, uh, so according to Ridley Scott, it was intended to be in originally, but they removed it because it essentially confirms that he is, in fact, a replicant. So I'm interested to see what they do with Blade Runner 2049. But the idea being, so, uh, oh, I, should, I shouldn't have closed my notes because I got lots on this. Um, <laughs> the reason the unicorn confirms the fact that he is a replicant, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to where everything else just sort of hints at it, and it hints at it real hard. I'll say that watching it. I was like, man, this hints at it super fucking hard, especially when you watch it the second time. It's like really, and you know that, it's like really seems fucking obvious. Uh, I still disagree with it for reasons. But the, the unicorn confirms it because normally just at the end of the movie, uh, I can never remember his name. Uh, the captain's assistant guy, whatever, that mm-hmm. guy, the origami guy, leaves oh. him a unicorn. Yeah. At the end of the movie, which that scene was always in the movie. The scene where Deckard has a memory slash dream of a unicorn as he's like kind of like passing out was not in the movie. The implication being that. This other guy, who is also potentially a Blade Runner of some sort or something like that, knows Deckard is a replicant and knows the memories that have been implanted in Deckard's brain and thus knows about the unicorn memory slash dream. It's a little, it's a little, and that's why he leaves him a unicorn. And now... So there's lots of things that allude to the fact that Deckard is a replicant and without that. Okay, I think I caught some of them. Obviously, there's the... Uh, have you ever run the... Vein, uh, I can never remember what it's called. The test. Yeah. She asks him, have you ever run the test on yourself? And he doesn't respond. Uh, there's a lot of uh, um, intentional similarities between him and Rachel. He talks about how uh, after they, they, they uh, she shoots the guy and they're back at his apartment... And she's like shaking or something. He says, uh, he um, sounds like me too or something. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't he? He, she gets the shakes. He goes, You got the shakes? And he goes, Yeah, I get them too. And the implication, I think, with her is that it's because of her being a replicant mm-hmm. and the deterioration type thing or something like that. And with him, it's because of his job. Right. But you can kind of take that implication. There's also obviously a big thing with her. She has a picture of her mom, her and her mom. And that's like her thing where she goes, that's, I know, you know, I have a picture of my mom. And then he's like, no, it's not, you know, it's like his niece or something. And then when she sits down right after the shake scene, she sits down in his apartment at his piano 
and he has all those pictures and she pulls it out and so the other thing that we didn't mention in this review the similarity or the speculation about Deckard being a replicant is the famous scene where he walks behind Rachel kind of near his bathroom and his eyes glow red like all of the replicants do now Harrison Ford has joked that he walked into Rachel's light and that's why it happened Ridley Scott I think has insisted that it was on purpose you can make of it what you will but his eyes do flash that reddish color that replicants eyes do throughout the movie so that's another little little bit of evidence for him being a replicant you know he has these pictures it, it's it's all very like yeah and and to me it's more it, it, it works better as him not being a replicant mm. and thus illustrating the similarities and demonstrating the humanity of the replicants as because that's kind of if okay here's why him being a replicant is fucking stupid <laughs> regardless of what really scott says because the whole point of the story in the movie is Deckard learning and being like the only fucking person who starts to see the humanity in the replicants. Right. And then a replicant saves him and it like fucking blows his mind. And it like, and then he, and and he falls in love with a replicant and he's the guy who's gonna, who sees now that replicants aren't just, non like things he calls them it's in the beginning of the movies he says how does it not know what it is and at the end of the movie he's in love with one and has been saved by one and thus his character arc has occurred mm-hmm. if he's a replicant what's the point of the movie <laughs> that it, it, like what is the what are we learning from this if he's a replicant like, it's a fun twist. Like, whoa, he was a replicant the whole time. But, like, what's the point of the movie if Deckard's a replicant? I can't figure it out. I don't know what the point would be if Deckard is a replicant. Because it's not about self-acceptance. Or, like, like you could do that if you wanted to make him a replicant. And he started to figure it out. Mm. And, like, struggled with it. And insisted he wasn't a replicant. And da-da-da. Did stuff like that. That's an angle you could go. And then it could be about self-acceptance or, or, or learning the humanity and then realizing yourself that even though you're fighting that part of your of, of your identity, that that, you know, it could be a really interesting self-identity, like, narrative. But it's not that because he never deals with that at all. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the only way it works as a story and as a a thing that is interesting is if Deckard is a human. And so when you're like, nah, he's a replicant, it's like, well, then what's the point of the movie? I I don't disagree. Okay, I know you don't. I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm just throwing it out there. really bothered me the more I thought about it. So, yeah, that's why a lot of people have real problems with the the final cut because it essentially confirms the idea that, I mean, not that Ridley Scott already has not a million times because he said it a bunch that, yes, Deckard is a replicant. That's what I wanted, Mm. the story I wanted to tell, which gets back to my effect. Wrigley Scott's Maybe kind of a fucking why hack. Philip K. Dick had a stroke. <laughs> yeah, it could be, but it's just it's it totally him being a replicant totally negates everything that works and is interesting and it and makes you think about things in the movie. If Deckard's a replicant, it's like, well, what? And this is disregarding all of the practical reasons that Deckard can't be a replicant. If he's a replicant, okay, uh, well, apparently his lifespan is much longer. Then, or they're lying to him. I guess that could be the other thing. 
because he supposedly has been a Blade Runner for quite some time because he retired. And right. you know what I mean? So I guess they could be, that all could be a ruse for some reason, yeah, but why would you do... the implication would be that if he had the memories implanted, then he used to be a human who was a Blade Runner, and then they made a replicant version of him, or... Well, I guess, but... Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess, ah, that's interesting, I never thought about it that way. I guess that's possible, like that... Because I, I never really thought about the idea that... I didn't think that was... I, I don't think replicants are based on people. I think they, they use memories be. of people to make... Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But, okay, well, yeah, you might have convinced me that I'd have to think about it more that that might make sense. But wh- why make a replicant that is just just so he doesn't think he's a replicant? Why would you make a replicant that has no uh, particularly interesting abilities about him other than being, like, an okay detective? But like not, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't have super strength. He doesn't, he's not super brilliant. Like he's a pretty good detective. He he tracks things down that are reasonably hard to figure out, but not like, I mean, like he finds some stuff and then he does some research and he sees some stuff. He's not like right. insanely he's not brilliant. Like he's not like, Sher- yeah, if he was Sherlock Holmes, if he was like a thing and a thing, I'd be like, okay, yeah, like then he, you know, that's the that's his. They just made a replicant that has. A, I'm getting off the tracks, and this is all. Anyways, I just think it's dumb that the idea that Deckard's a replicant is stupid. And no, I, I don't. I don't think it that's ruins a good, the narrative of the story. I don't think that would be a good addition to the story. Personally, I think there's a way to make that interesting, but the movie that they made is no. not interesting with that. No. It's way less interesting with that yeah. because it ruins his character arc. It ruins the point of the story. It ruins it ruins everything about the narrative of the movie, which totally makes sense that Ridley Scott is all into that because Ridley Scott fucking can do nothing but ruin things now. Like he's just oh no, we're getting into no, we're not getting no 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 we're not we're not gonna go off on the rails. But it totally like. I remember always liking Ridley Scott movies, and then I hit a point where he started making really bad movies, and then I realized maybe he's just always been an idiot, but he just didn't have as much control back then. And the and the, and the fact that I remember that I've read about the fact that the writers and Harrison Ford and everybody involved in the movie was like, no, 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 we're not making him a replicant. And Ridley Scott was like, yeah, he's a replicant. Confirms everything I thought about, and they were like, no, 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 no. That's not no, and he's like, uh huh, uh huh. I'm like, uh huh. It just confirms how much of an idiot Ridley Scott probably. probably Please don't come is. after us, Ridley Scott. Yeah, whatever. All right, I'm sorry. That was so. That's a big thing. Deckard's a replicant, not a replicant. He's not. He is, but he's not. And, I, and again, what I'm really interested to see is because supposedly, and now the movie could be lying, but again, this is like more stuff on stuff on stuff. That there's no way to extend a replicant's life past. Right. Blank amount of time. This is 2049. And we know for sure that his character's in it? Yeah, he's in the trailer. Okay, we'll watch well, the no, no, trailer. Yeah, no. He's in the trailer. <laughs> um, we'll watch it after this. I didn't want to potentially the, spoil Yeah, anything, now that you've seen so the movie, we'll, we'll watch it after this. But he's in the trailer, and now it, okay. could, be, it could be a replicant, a future <laughs> replicant of him, which if that's... Uh, I don't think that's the case, because Adam Savage really liked Blade Runner 2049, and I don't think he would like it if it was some okay. bullshit like that. So, anyways, <laughs> I'm interested to see... Like, if they just, like, decide, he's not a replicant. <laughs> he's a guy. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, all right. Uh, let's move on. 
Unless you got anything else here. No. To better... Oh, I got... I actually had just a couple of more little quick things. A really cool little thing I noticed. And this is... This is, could go in... What is this kind of general movie discussion right now? So this will work here. That, that picture that Leon takes that he uses to find Zora... Mm-hmm. That he puts in the thing is actually, and I never noticed this, but it really struck, hit me this time. There's a really famous, I think it's Gothic painting, uh, of a, it's called the Arnolfi, I wrote it down, Arnolfini portrait. Mm-hmm. And it's a picture of a, a man and a wife like being married. And there's a perfectly round mirror on the wall behind them that reflects the room in the exact same way that that mirror does. And it looks it it's like now that the 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 actual whole picture is very different because there's not a man and a woman in front of them, but the idea of that mirror on the wall, I would almost guarantee it was inspired by that painting. So look up the Arnolfini painting and compare it to that shot from the movie. It'll be pretty like oh, it's a very famous painting, and I remember seeing it before. And I thought that was cool. And we gotta talk about the dove real quick. Yeah, what the fuck was that? The dove was so stupid. The dove was. I know. It's like okay, I it's said, the mo- It's Ridley Scott being Ridley Scott is what it is. It's the most heavy-handed, like. It's the sh- most obvious symbolism ever. Yeah, and where does it come the from? Worst. He just grabs a dove for some reason and has it and is holding it because we don't see him get it. A pigeon, maybe. Or a pigeon, but he's on the roof, and right. then all of a sudden he turns around. and He's holding a dove slash pigeon, and he jumps across the roof with it. And then when he dies, he lets it go. And it, it's like the cheesy, it's, I almost laughed out loud. I was like, really? I think I snorted. Yeah, I think you did. And But I was like, that is about as heavy handed as it yeah. gets. And that's the thing where I'm like, I saw elements here and there of the true Ridley Scott trying to break through. The true, terrible, hacky Ridley Scott trying to break through and all the other incredibly talented people working on this film just contained him in a way <laughs> where he tried to, like, that was like the one thing they let him do. He was like, he's got to be holding a dove when he dies because get it. <laughs> and there's a lot of obvious symbolism in this movie. I mean, fucking, oh, oh, the prodigals are our fucking biblical character shoves a nail through his pot like there's a lot of real like on the head get it moments but the fucking dove is like at least the other stuff makes sense the dove is just apropos of nothing just like he has a dove and lets it go like it's uh anyway it's fucking stupid maybe that was in the final cut maybe ridley scott went back and digitally added that fucking dove let's move on to better in the movie things i want to talk about deckard does actual detective work in the movie movie? yeah Yeah. which is more interesting i think he's just a bounty hunter in the book so they do they like give him the information sheets with like the last known location and all the stats and everything and he goes out and he finds him some androids and kills them so there's none of the like uh investigating and following clues aspect that's in the movie since they nixed the other storyline mostly i see where they had to add that what's the other storyline they nixed okay so i mean um, this is good unless it's in your better in the book but no it's not necessarily better or worse jf sebastian his parallel character 
ish sort of is J.R. Isidore, mm-hmm. who is what's referred to in the book as a special or a chicken head. So the nuclear fallout like scrambled his genes to the point where he's like like rapidly deteriorating and so he's legally not allowed to migrate okay to another colony yeah which is present sort of in the movie except they make it like a genetic yeah disorder. It's a genetic disorder yeah. that makes him age um, quickly so the the second plot line of the book follows him through a day um and he's kind of kind of a, a naive childlike character sort of and we we see a lot yeah, of yeah uh, we so we see a lot of a lot of the book's themes through him and like the how awful that world really is yeah through his eyes and then he meets pris and the other androids and that's that's more where their storylines kind of align the book and the movie yeah. a little bit he kind of like shelters them yeah because he, he wants friends yeah, yeah yeah exactly what he does in the movie which is really sad yeah it is really sad i mean he makes does he make friends in the does he no make, he's not a genetic no. engineer is he a genetic engineer or whatever no, no. He's, uh, he's not very intelligent yeah which is one of the side effects of um, yeah it's yeah. Jeans being all fucked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of one of those characters. I said he had like a childlike like a like a one of those the wisdom of children. Right. Care like like Lenny in yeah, Mice and, and Men, Mice and Men kind of one of those characters. Right. So they they nix almost that whole thing. So obviously they had to flesh out Deckard's storyline a yeah. little bit and give him more of a presence. Yeah. I think generally that's a good choice. Yeah, yeah, because you had to, you have to pick one in a movie. You can't really follow two characters in a movie like that and bounce yeah. back and forth. When you do, it tends to fail. Like if you can't decide who your main character is in a movie, it tends to just not work so well. Not yeah. that you can't decide, but like trying to follow dual narratives in a way like that can tend to to just be tiresome and like confused not confusing but uh exhausting in a film mm-hmm. and, um, and there's very clear delineation in the book because yeah. it's just alternating chapters right so right. but and i i think and also because it's you also have to sell uh in terms of visually and as a thriller noir like you gotta you gotta pick what your movie's gonna be and this movie's gonna be a a sci-fi thriller noir Mm. that's what blade runner is and so the character to do that with is deckard and not yeah and you know not jf sebastian so i think it makes sense another big thing that they changed that i think was a good choice for the purposes of a movie um in the book the androids um escape and come to earth literally just to live oh they they mentioned something about them having a shorter lifespan in the book but it's not like a big plot point um it's not like a thing that anybody's really? super focused on that's super fascinating yeah that's they added that all to the movie um and i think it works because it gives them more of a purpose <laughs> like something they're yeah. working towards and it totally I just had an idea for a new segment, what we need to do in the future, especially with like more heady stuff mm. like this, is we need to write down ahead of time 
like before, especially if I've seen the movie, or maybe not. We can figure out how to do it. But write down what I think the themes of the movie are, and oh, like gosh. the you know what I mean, like yeah. the in, like like the themes and the um, the message mm-hmm. type of stuff of the, of the movie, and you do that for the book, and then we can we take turns and compare them because the fact that that's not. That their life and them trying to extend their life, that's a pretty important part, especially with the religion aspects of, of Blade Runner yeah. and the religious symbolism. That's a pretty important part. Is is the is the theme of humanity and, and replicants uh, and, and kind of teaching, because obviously Deckard learn, or, or becomes comes the realization that despite the fact that they're replicants, they're essentially human. Like they're essentially, they have thoughts, they have feelings, they have, they're not it's, they're people despite whether or not they've been created in a lab or have, you know, uh, shortened lifespans. Is that a similar type of theme that's touched Um, on in the book at all? It's present, but it's not the same as it is in the movie. I know that is something that I want to talk about in a minute. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I I like that the movie gives them a little bit more of a purpose. Although I do think there are interesting implications in the book of the fact that they just want to be left alone. Yeah, that's... And now, like, and humanity's, like, hunting them down, and they literally just want to be left alone. To be fair, I think that's true for... Well, at least it seemed that way for Zora, for the most part. Yeah, She didn't seem much to want to fucking have it. It does seem to be this main group that is more focused on getting the extended... Yeah, it's mainly Roy Batty, Leon, and Pris. Like I said, Zora, like, she's in the room with them at one point, but, like, we never see her as part of the... The right. plot to track down the creators and like you know, or track down the people that made them and 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 get more life or get life extension or whatever. So I, I don't. Know. One other thing that I liked more in the movie, they really like upped the Annie with the replicants as opposed to the androids. I think by having them like combat slash murder trained. Yeah, yeah, they're combat models. Yeah, because and- uh, that's not present in the book and like they're always they're kind of always like going on in the book about like how dangerous androids are but when it comes right down to it it doesn't seem like they're very hard to kill (laughs) well they're not hard to kill they're not hard to kill in the movie if you have a gun yeah if you're hand-to-hand fighting them you're fucked but if you have a gun you can totally kill them and he i mean anytime red deckard has a gun and they aren't able to just knock it out of his hand and just fucking shoots them and they die but yeah, if you're if you're going toe to toe with them in a fist fight, they're gonna fuck you up. Right. So, and I think that's an interesting addition. Yeah. Yeah, because of course, and it will because they're made to do physical labor. Right. You would make them stronger and more powerful. You know what I mean? You would, yeah. You would make them physically more apt and adept than humans. And it, it to be fair, it's it's more implied in the book. Like the movie specifically says that they do like manual labor. Off yeah. world, yeah. and then the book. It's more implied that they're like for personal use. Oh, like servants and stuff. Yeah. Like oh, okay. So I mean, maybe in the the world of the book that Philip K. Dick imagined, they don't necessarily need to be yeah combat trained or programmed. I guess would be the better word. I think it makes things more interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, all right then. Let's move on. It's better in the book.
we talked a little bit about the landscape. The movie versus the book. Yeah, the setting. I prefer the book's hmm. version of wow, things. That's... To me, sci-fi and especially dystopian sci-fis are a commentary on the present. Yeah, yes. And I feel like this idea of this bombed out post-nuclear humanity is dying world to me, is a more compelling commentary on the present. Here's where I'll push back. Here's where I'll counter that. I think it's absolutely a better commentary on the present in 1968. Eight. But in the 80s, in sort of a technolo- the beginning of the technological boom and when we were starting to realize the damage we were doing to the environment with like smog mm-hmm. and like industrialization. I mean, not that we didn't realize, but like, I feel like I can see because the Cold War was over. No, no, it wasn't. No. Okay, never we mind. went to the moon in 1969. The Cold War is far from over. No, I meant in oh, 80, in, the, 80, in, the, in the movie. In that's what I'm saying. Oh, in 82? No, not not. No, quite. when did the Berlin Wall come down? Like, not that that was the end, but it was... Like 88 or 89. Yeah, so it's still... But it wasn't the same... No, it's not to the same level, I don't think. I don't know. But... My history's a little off. So maybe I'm wrong. But my, my thinking is that this is pretty not too far removed from the nuclear bombs being dropped. I mean, you know, it's 15, 20 years removed from the bombs when atomic bombs were actually dropped. And it was right at the beginning-ish of the Cold War, right? Whereas this is right at the end of the Cold War and more along, along the, around the time of like big technological, the, I'm, I say this, I'm touching the movie now, <laughs> <laughs> is right along the time uh, of sort of like the big technology boom started right. happening in, in, uh, in at least in America. And so, I, and so that sort of like dense technological overload, all the giant sure. corporations sure. and advertising. Sure, Neuromancer, and, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can see, you know what I mean? Uh, no, I, I think that's a valid point. I'm reading it now, though. That's fair. Now it's fucking nukes for days. And uh, now... And global warming. So. Yeah, now <laughs> both um, of those things a completely sense. obliterated, destroyed Earth with the last dregs of humanity dying out yeah. is a more compelling commentary on the present. That's fair, but it's not as fucking cool looking. <laughs> How do you know? Because I've How played the Fallout know? games and they're not as cool looking as Blade Runner Mad is. Max was pretty cool looking. It's interesting, but it's not as cool looking. Like, the world, the lived-in world is not... I mean, the lived-in world of Blade Runner, that in the like, the first 30... You know, the first half of the movie when he's, like, walking around and in the city and, like, is so cool and, like, real-feeling and awesome-looking and different than, like, a lot of stuff that it's... I mean, like, uh, Fifth Element and stuff and other movies since then have done it a lot, but, like, at the time, it was so revolutionary and interesting, and it's still, to me, so interesting. I guess that's why it doesn't feel so revolutionary to me. I still... I still argue... I mean, even, even though other movies have done a similar thing, I don't think any of them even come close to doing something as that level of like it's and i said it earlier but it, it's one of the most visceral feelings i get watching a movie and like the setting of a film and now i felt it a little you feel it in like mad max and stuff like that you feel it in different ways in lots of movies 
but in terms of I just felt like wet and gross the whole time. Like I j- it just I just felt it like when he was sitting there when he's like crosses the street through the rain and sits down in a little steamy gross like diner like I just it all I don't know. It was super visceral to me and mm. like it just great. But Okay. That's fair. I'll pose the argument though that I think the world of the book could have been just as visceral. I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And there's a lot having to do with the way that the world is that we lose in the movie. Yeah. Animals in the book are almost completely extinct. And they hint at that in the movie when they talk about, like, the fake owl and the fake snake. Yeah, no, they're, yeah, because he says, is that real? And she's yeah. like, of course it's not real. But in the book, and I have found this really interesting and kind of compelling as I was reading it, animals have become, like, a status symbol. If you own a real animal, that's, yeah, that's, that's a, like, a status thing. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, like to the point that there exists this whole like industry that caters to making fake replicants of animals that'll fool your neighbors. Oh, that are like yeah, so, so that real. they don't know if your sheep died. Which brings me to the title. Okay. So, what does the title mean to you? Like, uh, how do you interpret that? To me, and this is purely based on the movie. To me, it it, it it asks the same question. It's it's asking the question in a different way of are replica well androids in this sense in this instance human mm-hmm. in the sense that, well by asking do androids dream of electric sheep the comparison obviously being that when you're falling asleep humans counting sheep yeah that's the that that's was... the implication so I to me it's a it draws a direct parallel of, of literally kind of asking the question of what level of humanity are do androids achieve or are they capable of in like a vague way but it's also like a clever way to like a fun way to say it yeah no it definitely it's it's asking that question and before reading the book that was always how i interpret it like the counting sheep thing um but now that i've read it i know about the fake animal thing and it kind of has that an like a second layer for me now like do they want the same things that we want yeah you know no that's really cool do they sit around wishing that they had animals of their own yeah and i think that even ties into the same and it's the same question yeah. in a different way but it's the same question of of how human are they do they even do they want the same things we want do mm-hmm. they do they strive or do they have the same desires that that humans have which is even in a more it, probably even a more eloquent way of illustrating that point versus like, do they dream like we do or whatever? But yeah. like, do they literally by dream mean? Right. There's like, a, the a, there's like a couple do. of different layers of meaning just in the title, which I yeah. think is really cool. Something that I liked better in the movie or in the book. I was going to say, I think we're done with that. We got, we better be done with that. <laughs> something <laughs> that on. I liked better in the book. Rachel, I think is a way more compelling character in the book that's fair she's she's not very compelling in the she's movie, a so. little like damselly yeah in the movie yeah she's a little 
born sexy yesterday in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to, I knew you were, so I was watching it. I was like, well, I know. Yep. Okay. <laughs> born sexy yesterday. Her hair would absolutely not look like that after she took, after she took it down out of her victory rolls. If you say so, I don't but, know enough about it. Okay. <laughs> so let me just, she had it rolled and the rolls were smooth. Yeah. And then she takes it down and all of a sudden she like, has like a corkscrew perm. Yeah, that's true. False. Yeah. <laughs> false, false, false. It's future hair technology. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> sure. Take I, me to that future. It's future hair technology. That's my excuse. So in the book, they do sleep together. Okay. Well, in the book, Deckard is married. Oh. He has a wife. Yeah. They never um, touch on any of that in the movie. No. We don't really get much of his no. backstory in the movie, but so he's had. It's he because his... we can't get much of his backstory because Ridley Scott wanted him to yeah. be a fucking replicant. He's a replicant. Okay. Okay. Ridley Scott. <laughs> but he does sleep with Rachel, and then after they sleep together, um, she tells him that she only slept with him to make it harder for him to kill androids. That gives her agency in a fun way. Yeah, she does. She has more agency. I And I, I find that more compelling. I think it gives her more layers. I think I like it makes her more interesting. I agree with all of that. But since Deckard is our main character, I think I like that. And I think that's an interesting. I like the way it gives her agency. I like the way it makes her more interesting uh, and gives her, like, like I said, just, you know agency i think it takes away from deckard's character growth to an extent i mean he doesn't really have the same arc i know in the book that's what i'm saying and this is my argument for the movie is that i think it takes away a little bit from if that were the case in the movie it would take away from his because he he falls for her right i don't know it's interesting I, i i i i like it i like a lot about it i i was grossed out by a little bit by some of how their relationship was portrayed in the movie. Yeah, he coerces the fuck out of her. Yeah, yes, you're not wrong. I don't think it's quite that simple, but yes. But I like that idea from the book. I think that that I like that it gives her that agency. I'll just say the word agency eight more times because that makes me super <laughs> woke. <laughs> All right. Um, there's still some other stuff that I want to talk about. But I want to go ahead and give my verdict. Okay, let's do it. Because the other stuff that I want to talk about is tied to that. Okay. I preferred the book. I I could tell. Just from watching. Now, I will say this, though. (laughs) I want to watch this movie again in like five years because... I didn't love this movie or even really super, I kind of just was okay with, like, I was like, I said I respected it, but I didn't really like it that much the first time I, like, really watched it. Mm. The second time, I really enjoyed it and thought it was really fucking good. So I'd be interested, and it's been a few years removed, and and so I'd be interested to see watching it again in a little while. If you okay. felt not that it would necessarily make you preferred over the movie, but to, or the, over the book, but I think it might change how you feel about the movie a little bit. Part of the reason that I prefer the book is because of the way that it addresses the themes. So the book asks a similar question to the movie, 
what does it mean to be human? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the answer that the book comes to is that humans have empathy. Okay. It comes down pretty solidly that machines do not. And there's just something about that. Like, there's not... Like, the movie kind of has a happy ending, in a way. Like, they fall in love and they leave together. Yeah. And Deckard learns that androids can be people, too. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. And that's not present in the book. So when you say machines do not, are you are you using the word machine to describe replicants or androids? Yes. So the book comes down with literally the opposite moral conclusion that replicants aren't worthy of the same moral uh rec uh <laughs> the same uh because that's fuck, fucked up <laughs> something about the way the book does it is more interesting to me i think it's more of an interesting discussion i guess Hmm. And there's, like we said, there's there's a lot of just minutiae in the yeah. book that, like, so Philip K. Dick, I guess, had kind of a bleak view on technology and the future. Yeah. It, to me, it's just it's just a more interesting conversation as opposed to the kind of Hollywood-esque ending that the movie has. It's... Definitely, a, if, if if the without having read it, if the if the fucking implications of that is that if we create a uh, super intelligent or equally intelligent form of um, pseudo life, shall we say? Now in the movie, replicants are literally flesh tissue. Are they robots in the book? Are it's they like hard to tell? Okay, because in the movie, they're straight up just grown right. human, like yeah. grown flesh and blood. Like they're the only thing different about them is they. They're kind of programmed in the sense, like, but so if the implication of the book is that those things, whether they be replicants, androids, whatever, because I don't think it really matters what the substrate is, mm. aren't worthy of, or aren't capable and aren't worthy of the same uh, moral consideration that humans are, I much prefer the movie's well uh, <laughs> outlook on that. But the book makes it very clear that they don't have the same okay. empathy capabilities. So that's that a very stark change because that's yeah. the big moment is when right. when when Roy Batty does have the same yeah. moral like it's, the, it's not the same like, empathetic it's reaction. It's not like oh they can feel empathy but fuck those guys. It's 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 more like whoa holy shit. They don't have empathy. Okay. So it's like in the in the book of the climax where like Roy Batty would just like Get there and be like, yeah, fuck you, and throw you off the roof, and then piss on them, and then, or something, and then, <laughs> yeah, something, or like I don't that. know, that's not a, it's not a proper, but, but so, like, right, and and the book really like really dials it up, like, okay, so I, I touched on the idea that all the animals are extinct, yeah, so at one point close to the end of the book, Isidore, Sebastian, um, yeah. character finds a spider, um, and he's really like stoked about it because they're really rare. Yeah. So he scoops it up in a little jar, and he takes it inside to show his new android friends, and they respond by cutting off half of its legs. <laughs> okay. And I, I don't know. Like, to me, the purpose 
of the book was not so much to explore whether or not androids can be human, but just to simply ask what makes us human. Okay, that's fair. Right? Yeah. There, it's a little bit of a focus shift. Yeah, that's fair. And then the answer is empathy. Okay, yeah. No, I, yeah, that, it's, it's interesting, and it's just, it's just very different, and to yeah. me, it's fucking a drag, so... <sighs> I don't know about a drag, but like, I find the story in the movie uh, more compelling. Without having read, it's more compelling emotionally to me. That's fair. as it should be. It's a movie. It's trying to sell to an audience. Yeah. So. And I mean, and we've we talked about differences like that in, you know, like in our arrival review, um, the difference between selling to a movie audience yeah. versus, you know, in a book where you're maybe exploring concepts a little bit more than yeah. selling something emotionally. Yeah, that's fair. I don't disagree. It's just, no. Or maybe you wouldn't like it very much. I don't think I would. It doesn't sound, <laughs> I don't think I would. Cause I have to take it back to the library. I guess it, anyway. it also boils down to my views on determinism, which we're not going to get into. So, <laughs> and the fact that we're all fucking androids, but <laughs> that's besides the point. No, we're not going to get into that. This has already been too long. So, or at least on pushing the edge of too long so well we're gonna go see Blade Runner 2049 when it comes out this is going to drop two days before right a couple days before or or, or it'll be the week of I think the week of when Blade Runner 2049 comes out so you can listen to this literally and then go see the movie in the next that weekend, which should be exciting. I'm excited to see it because the trailers are gorgeous. The movie looks awesome. Adam Savage says it's great, and I trust his opinion on Blade Runner because he's like the world's biggest Blade Runner fan that has ever existed. Uh, if you've ever listened to any of his podcasts or him ever talk about it or anything he's ever done ever, because he always talks about Blade Runner always. So I'm excited to see it. We're going to be going to see it opening weekend, uh, and we'll probably talk about it. Uh, at some point, when we finally start doing these little mini episodes, which we're going to be doing, we're going to be going to a weekly format at some point here. But until that time comes, what do we have coming up for our next episode? Um, next episode is, is our first Halloween episode. One of our two Halloween. We're going to be doing two Halloween episodes since we're not actually releasing on Halloween. We're going bracketing Halloween. Yeah, and our we first one. are going to be reading and watching Neil Gaiman's Coraline. Coraline, and this will be the first one that we've done. Well, this was the first one we've done where you had never read the book or seen the movie. So that was kind of a... Because before, you'd either done one or both. Coraline will be the first one we've done where we've both read the book Mm. and both seen the movie. But me, I saw the movie, it's been forever. Like, the year after it came out. It's been a while since I've seen it, I don't remember anything about the movie. I read the book, like, last year. So uh, I'm a little more... uh, more recently, read, I read the book at your behest, and I really enjoyed it. It's so, my favorite book. Yeah, it's your favorite book, so I, <laughs> I, I read it, and I did enjoy it quite a bit. So I'm excited to watch the movie now, and because like I said, I don't remember anything about the movie, uh, and see how I think, what I think about it. And I, I might reread the book again before we, we'll see. But it'll be our first episode where we're going to have to figure out, we're going to mix it up, because we obviously can't do Guess Who, we can't do... Yeah, we're going to have to come up with, like, all new segments. We're going to have to come up with new segments, and it may just be us discussing the movie versus the book for a while, because we'll both have strong opinions. But we'll see. We'll come up with something interesting. But until that time, guys, 
Keep watching movies. Keep reading books. Keep being awesome. Bye-bye. Bye. You can also follow us on Goodreads, where we are keeping a running tally of whether the book was better or the movie was better. Thank you for once again listening to This Film is Lit.